0: If you will, take your Bible and turn to Job chapter 1, Job chapter 1, a message today entitled, Handling Great Losses. If you will, let's stand together. Now, if you can't stand, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's okay if if you can't remain standing for that long. Job chapter 1. The opening scene is on earth. And it says There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. Can everybody add that up to know that he had ten children? He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast of the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the Feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually, important word. Continually. Now the scene moves from Earth, looking at a man. Now the scene moves to somewhere in the uh, unknown. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. The Lord said to Satan, "Where have you come now? In good Southern Alabama language, that just means where you been. I want to know where you've been. And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And that correlates with 1 Peter 5, that, that the enemy is running to and fro over the earth, seeking who he may devour Verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth, a bl- a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But, Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your hand, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now the scene changes again, comes back to earth. Now, there was a day when his sons, Job's sons and daughters, were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, while he was yet speaking... I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and the most shocking verse in this scripture And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for the next few moments. I pray that you will invade this place. And I pray that you will help us to see that when losses and hurts and pains come our way, that you are and will be our source of strength to get through. I pray that some word that's spoken today will be a word that you'll use to encourage and help us in our time of loss and need. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> Last Tuesday morning, I got up and I went to my little eating hole up on the hill, Tracy. I want to call it Hilltop, but that's not the name of it. Dinner bell. Went to Dinner Bell to get me some breakfast, like I do two or three times a week. I don't really know these folks, but I will tell you this: as a senior adult, I can go get me a breakfast as full as I want for under five bucks, fixed to order, and I like it. And they're sweet people. But I went there and I ordered, and they have uh, internet, which is one of the drawing cards for me. And and so I sat down at the table, flipped my iPad open, and before I turned to my Bible to begin to, to read a little bit, I flipped to Facebook. And there on Facebook, I saw one of our young people. In this person's words, this young person said, I'm going to rant now. And as I began to read the rant, it really was not a rant, it really was an impassioned plea during their time of loss, for people to show a little respect. I'm just going to pause here. I don't say much about Facebook from the pulpit, but may I just say to everybody in this room who uses Facebook, there are right and wrong ways to use Facebook. Very few people will be won to Christ because of what you do on Facebook, but here's the truth. Many people will be turned away from him and you by how you post on Facebook. Many people try to tell nasty stories one day and then try to give God the praise the next. That don't wash, folks. We need to, when we post on any media, anything public, we need to post like Jesus is looking over our shoulder because he is. That's enough of that sermon. Back to our young person. I expressed to, to this person this morning that, that I was never been so proud That they made such an impassioned plea for a little compassion, a little respect, a little grace, a little thoughtfulness in times of loss. I had spent Monday preparing another message for today that I felt passionate about. We'll hear that in a couple of weeks. But as I read that, as I thought about what had gone on in the previous four or five days, it seemed to me that... We as a church, we as a community, we as a people needed a word from God's word about handling the great losses of life. I'd like to tell you that if you follow close enough to Jesus that you'll never have any losses, but that's a lie. Losses are a part of this fallen world and a a part of our life. Following Jesus doesn't shield you from hurt or from pain. We have just read a story about a man named Job. Sadly, we read this story and sometimes we're too flippant about his losses because he's a Bible character. After all, he, we we read verses 1 through 5. We knew what was going on. I'll just remind you that Job didn't really know what was going on. In fact, the book ends 40 chapters later and he still didn't know what was going on and why it all had happened. So this morning I just... I want to give you two thoughts and, and, and I want to help us to kind of put our hands around some things and uh, um, maybe encourage us and help us in our, in our walk. I want to begin with the losses that hurt. The losses that hurt. Now, we can say loss because it normally it comes one at a time, but anyone in this building who has suffered a loss, that could be a debt, that could be many things, is that you know how deeply it hurts. In our small community here, over the past nine years, we've had so many losses, it's unspeakable. This past week, a family lost two teenagers. Friday before that, one of our young people lost a stepbrother. We can go back to people that have lost their health. They've lost their direction. They've lost loved ones. The truth, the truth is, is that I want to just help us gain a little perspective today. If you feel me stumbling, I will, because this is a hard subject. Because I have, my heart is that nobody thinks I'm taking any loss lightly. But let's just look here. The, loss that, the losses that hurt, the loss that hurts, there are, there are at least three named here, but I'm going to mention four for you. The first loss that hurts is what I will call a financial loss, a financial loss. Now, money is not mentioned in this chapter at all. But if you go back to verse 2, you find out that, that Job had 11,000 head of livestock. And many servants. This guy was not worried about where his next meal was coming from. He wasn't waiting for social security. He wasn't even worried about the, the direction of the stock market. He wasn't worried about how he would pay his bills in retirement. This guy was set. And it is even indicated when it talks about him being the, the greatest man in the East. He had everything going for him financially, that is, until the tragedy. One thing about tragedy coming into your life, you very rarely know it. But it doesn't surprise God. As I think about finances, I am reminded of a preacher friend of mine who chose to retire because he thought he was set. And two months later, the stock market bottomed out. And he called me and he said, Can you help me find a church? I said, I thought you retired. He said, I did. When I think of finances, I think about one of our last downturns and the numerous stories that I read where people jumped off buildings because they saw no hope, because their finances were messed up they were gone when you look at job he went from a place of riches to rags with four three messengers all of a sudden his life was turned upside down and by the way i just i don't want to pass this it's this not really a part of the message but wouldn't it be wonderful to be a person that god bragged on hey satan yeah, consider old James. You know, he's a pretty good guy. Oh yeah, but just think about how much you blessed him. Or or consider Annie. Wouldn't it be something to be someone that God bragged on? But not because of your finances, but because of the person you are. But when we lose our finances, many people lose hope. Second thing we can lose is our friends. We can lose our friends. Mm. You say, Brother Jerry, I don't see it mentioned in friends here. Well, let me just kind of give you a picture here. In this culture, it was very common for rich people to have servants generationally. Now, what that means is that, is that my granddad had servants, and they had kids. They grew up in my granddad's house, and then became my dad's servants, and then they had kids, and they all grew up, and those became. Do you understand what I'm saying? This generational servanthood. Now, it is true that that master could be a slave owner, but he would not. He would not have worn the title as the greatest man in the east if he had been a a tyrant with his servants. Chances are, when you read that he that he lost servants. In verse 15, you read that he lost servants in verse 16. You read that he lost servants in verse 17. Chances are that he grew up with some of these servants that he that he lost. Chances are they played in the yard together. Losing a friend is tough. You know why? They say you're stuck with your family, but you choose your friends. You see, when you lose a friend... It tears at the very core of who you are. It takes me no imagination to know that Job was, he entrusted these servants. He loved these servants, and they were doing good for him. But this friend, what what is a real friend? You and I have a lot of acquaintances, but we have few friends. You see, a friend runs in when everybody else runs out. A friend a friend is the one that you can rely on, that you can trust. A friend is somebody who has your back, and when you're wrong, they come and they lovingly talk with you about it, but they don't knife you in the back. A friend is someone who believes in you when you cease to believe in yourself. A friend, uh, as Magic Johnson says, when you face a crisis, you discover who your true friends are. Sayings go on and on, but you know what Jesus said? Greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You see, friend is a special relationship. And when you have a true friend and you lose them, either the relationship breaks or they die, it can crush you. And many times it does. Third loss, family family. This past week, a number of young people were buried. I can't even imagine the Spain family's hurt, 15 and 17 years old. I just, that's beyond me. I can't remember, I can't imagine losing a, a sibling, whether it's a, a step-sibling or a, or a full-blood sibling. You know, we can't find words to express the hurt. But I don't, want, I don't want you to miss this, folks. It's bad when you lose one child. It's horrendous when you lose two. But Job lost ten. Job lost ten. And you go, oh, that's a little bit unbelievable. I, don't, I think I'll discount that. Well, listen. In the last years, just since I've been here, I know there was something back in the 90s, but just since I've been here, we have seen wind. It says a great wind. Does everybody know what a great wind could be? Can anybody say tornado? The only reason I wouldn't say hurricane because it didn't say rain. The reason I wouldn't say a cyclone because it didn't say rain. It had to be something like a tornado. And a tornado kills indiscriminately. We saw person after person. I mean, we have Eddie and Kelly and Eli, and we should be thankful every day that God saw fit. To spare them, because there would have been some of our church family gone. Because the wind knows no boundaries. Every person feels like that you should outlive your children. Could I get an amen? But it doesn't always happen. Every person in this building has suffered some kind of loss. You've You've lost a two ladies, and I just prayed together. They lost spouses. Many people have lost spouses. Many people have lost children. Many people have lost siblings. Many people have lost parents. Many people have lost extended family. And every one of them hurts deeply. And by the way, be careful what you say. I know how you feel, not unless you've walked this way before. You lost Walk up to somebody who lost your spouse. They lost their spouse. I know how you feel. Well, no, you don't because you still have yours. Be careful what you say. Don't walk up to a young couple who has lost a, a baby and say, well, at least you're young and you can have another. Put a sock in it. I don't mean to be unkind, but that's so inappropriate. You see, when we lose family, we can recount, and most of the time we still recount with tears. All of these these losses are tough, financial, friends, and family. But they're not the ones that can debilitate us. The one that can debilitate us, thank goodness, Job showed us that he did not lose this. This was not a loss that he suffered. But many, even many that sometimes sat are under the sound of my voice lose this. And that is, sometimes we lose our faith. Hmm. We could have said, Job lost his faith. It said, uh, if it had said, he arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and complained. That would have sounded kind of like us, wouldn't it? Why me, God? I used to ask that, but I just have to tell you the truth. Today, about, I guess it's my old age, teenagers, today when something bad happens to me, I go, why not me? Why not me? You see there are times that loss comes in our lives and and it is just so devastating it is so debilitating that that we can't get a handle on it and, and 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 those times and those instances people tend to lose their faith after all if God were a good god if God loved me this wouldn't have happened to me right Wrong thank you Wrong You see God is a good God. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down to us from the Father of lights, from God, in whom there's no variation or turning. But we should never miss this truth. Are you listening? We should never miss this truth. When this world fell into sin through disobedience, we fell into the pit. And it is a horrible pit. And in the pit, many terrible things Happened. Deborah and I had a friend on the coast. He was a businessman. Sold tractors. Sold tires. God got a hold of his heart. Next thing we know, he's leading worship at a church on the coast. The next progression. God called him to preach, and he went to a little church, been struggling for 40 years, and today that church is a monument almost because of how God used Lowry to revitalize. Since we've been here, Lowry was diagnosed with cancer. 27 days from diagnosis to death. Can you imagine? Never lost his faith. Never turned his back on the Lord. In fact, some of his last actions were with some preachers to make sure that some of the work that God had gifted him to begin would continue. Mm. You see... When you go through loss, the evil one's going to whisper in your ear. He's going to say, see there? I told you God didn't love you. I told you He's not love. You see, God's up there maybe, but but He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. And Or, or this proves that you can't trust God. You can't depend on God. What I would counter with, folks, please listen. The reason David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a shadow of death. It's not death. I'll fear no evil. You know why? Because you're with me. I thought maybe we needed a little reminder this morning. That no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've gone through, He's with you. Cameron. Whatever struggle you may be going through, whatever you may be doing right now, be aware that God is there with you. And even though your loss hurts, you're not walking by yourself if you don't want to. Some people are going to forge it on their own. They're going to flex their muscles to try to forge ahead. I'd like to just give you a few thoughts to help you. And so we transfer our thinking from a lie of the loss that hurts To a life that works. And we find that with Job. Now, here's what we need to know. You don't get a life that works in the midst of trouble. It's not when you suffer the loss. And I'll just warn everyone here. You do not make good decisions in the midst of stress and struggle and loss because your mind and heart is like your car and your vacuum cleaner, it doesn't work right overheated. Now's the time. Before the struggle started, just like we're going to find with Job in the few minutes that remain, it is before the problems come that you develop a life that works. Four characteristics I'd offer you from Job. First of all, you need a rigorous faith. A rigorous faith. Now you're saying, Brother Jerry, rigorous? Yes, both of those words are important. It says up here, he was blameless in verse 1 and upright. In fact, God repeats that to Satan in verse 8. Blameless and upright. King James says perfect and upright, literally, that word "perfect" means that he was complete, that he was lacking nothing, and that 's a tall order since we are incomplete people, and we lack so much before a holy God. You know what that means that he got his relationship with God right in the crucible of the of when things are normal as opposed to the crucible of pain. Job was not only complete because he was blameless and upright and had that rigorous faith but he wanted to make sure that his children were okay he spent his time making sure his children were okay a life that has a rigorous faith that works, begins today before your struggle starts and it only begins, please listen Job didn't have the things that we have what do we have that Job didn't have? we have Jesus We have the cross. You see, the truth is, Jesus says, I am the way. This is a road how to get to God so that you can have a a first-person relationship with God. But this road is a toll road. Have you ever been on a toll road? They don't let you on that sucker unless you pay some money. You got what I'm telling you? But listen, this is a toll road, and the toll has been paid. A rigorous faith... That, that leads you to be blameless, that leads you to be complete. Over the past 40 years, on this side of the pulpit, I've watched many people go through struggle and hurt and loss, and I've watched them as they come through it, and the first thing they want to do is make a lot of decisions, and they want to, they want to make a lot of changes as a part of the, as a part of the process. I already said it. A life of faith is not born in the crucible of the pain. It's born in the openness of your daily life. I love that down in verse, the end of verse 5 where he did this continually. That's that rigorous faith. Seeking God. Reading His Word. Spending time with prayer. Hearing His voice. Letting Him change you from the inside out. You see, faith... This rigorous faith has been born in a heart that's given to God. Rigorous faith. The second characteristic that I see that Job has that we must have is a righteous fear. It says he feared God. God said he feared God. Now, I just want to tell you one of the lies of our culture. You're not supposed to fear God. God i am just say this to you as openly and honestly, as transparently as I can. If you don't fear God, you've never had a vision of God. Nobody struts into his presence and nobody struts out of his presence. If you get a vision of God, you'll be like Isaiah. You'll be on his face. You'll be like Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. You'll be like Moses, and you'll find yourself on your face because you know what? When we get a vision of God, here's what we understand that he's all powerful, and we ain't. You see, you don't want to fear God? That's fine. You will one day. You see, he controls everything. And as we see in this he even gives permission for the bad stuff nothing escapes his grasp his gaze Well brother Jerry does that mean that he he took my friend or he took my wife or he took my husband that means he allowed it to happen in the fullness of time and that means that you've not seen the end result yet you don't you how can it be for good if i've lost this person from this life and earth well I think about King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was going to die, been told he was going to die. And he went over and he, he pleaded his case. said, God, I want some more time. And God said, 15 more years. And for the next 15 years, he made a mess of his life because his time to go was when God said it was to go. And it's a matter of trusting God. I don't think I like that. Well, that's, I understand. You don't like some things in the Bible? You don't like that? How time rolls on, I don't like the fact that Jesus had to suffer and die on a cross so that I could be saved. You see, we need a, a respectful and a righteous fear for the Lord. Fearing God in your life is critical. If you don't fear God, you'll cast off restraint. Where, where there is no vision, people perish, King James said. Another one said where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. Same verse. It literally means if you don't have a, if you don't have a revealed attitude about who God is and, and fear Him, you do what you want to do. Everybody doing what's right in their own mind. But during the times of great loss, we need that rigorous faith. We need that righteous fear. But we also need if you look in that verse 1, it says he turned away from evil. You need to be rightly focused. Now, I just want to say this to you. When you get the faith in order and the fear in order, the focus will be in order. Because if you, when you fear God, when you have that faith, your natural tendency will be to turn away from evil and not toward evil, your natural tendency will be to turn away from the, the things of, that are bad, the, the sin that so easily besets us, the weight that pulls us down, and turn toward in an interest the cross is there, and turn toward the cross, turn toward him. you see the the truth is. When we understand that God is real and he is righteous and he is holy and he is to be honored, the most natural thing we do is focus our lives on him. Now, I understand that's not a popular message today. But make no mistake, this world wants you to do the opposite. They want you to turn your back on the Lord and they want you to turn your face toward God. Self, sin, the things that make us feel good. But I'll just say this to you. That's not a life that works or wins. That's a life that's condemned. You know what's the outgrowth? If you get these three things right, like, like Job did, that you have that rigorous faith. People can see God all over you because you trust Him. And 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 because you have a respectful fear of Him, you know that He holds the world in your hands. He know, you know He holds you in your hands. You, you know that He holds your children in your hands. Whoo! He holds my children in His hands. And He says, I have no other God before me, Kathy. So if I put my children before God, you know what? He can do something about that. I don't think I like that either. Well, I didn't come to be popular. I'm trying to tell you the truth so that we can be on the same page. But when we get our righteous faith, our rigorous faith, and our righteous fear and our right focus in order, you know what happens to us? Like Job, we become richly favored. Richly favored. Now, in the scripture, he was considered the greatest man in the East. Now, that may not be what happens to us. But I just need to say this to you. Our goal should not define should not be to find the favor of man. Our goal should be to try to find the favor of God. There's so much more that I'd like to say, but I'm just less if you don't have the righteous, if you don't have that rigorous faith, a loss is going to destroy you. If you don't have that righteous fear, the loss of God, is, the loss is going to decimate you. If you're not rightly focused, then when somebody passes from this life, or when you lose your money, or when you lose things that you think are important, all of a sudden your world is going to fly apart. <clears throat> I remember five years ago, in a 60-day period of time, I lost my mom and Deb lost her dad. I remember two years ago when we lost Deb's mom. (laughs) I can remember not so long ago when somebody who's sitting in this room lost their parents within 45 days of each other. Times like that can destroy your faith. If you've not developed continually, this life that wins. Built on the righteous faith that God is in control and He loves us. Because, you know why? Because He is so powerful. He's got the world in His hand and He's so good. I trust Him, which is what it comes down to. And with my life, I'm rightly focused. I put Him front and center of everything that I do. And the secret is found in the words to a little song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And then the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory. All things working together for good, you may not see as good, but God does because He's a good God. Where's your faith today? Is your faith in Jesus? Do you trust Him implicitly, totally, completely? Or you just trust Him when times are good? Handling loss means having a life that's connected to the Creator. Let's pray together.